Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. We're here to set the record straight. So we're in episode three today, and it's called You Don't You Won't Have Bad Dates. Things that Jesus never said. You won't have bad days. Right? Now, reality speaking, who here has had a bad day? Ever had a bad day? Yes. And you're probably thinking, hey, why am I having a bad day? Maybe it's a decision you made. Maybe it's a decision someone else made that you paid the consequence for. But we ended up with a bad day. You know, as people, we like to do good. I think most of us want to do good to people, right? We want to help people out. We want to be helpful. We want to show love. We want to show appreciation. We want to thank people. Sometimes we go out of our way to do good things for people. Yes. And sometimes when we do good things for people and we don't get appreciated, we don't feel good, right? You don't feel like, hey, I've gone out of my way. I took time out of my busy schedule to help you move right? And you didn't appreciate it, or you didn't say thank you. And we have this idea that if we do something good for someone else, they should do good for us, right? That's just common sense. That's just basic humanity. That's just being appreciated. That's just saying, hey, if I can help you out, I'm expecting you to do the same in return. But the reality is that even though we sometimes do good for people, they don't necessarily do the same thing for us. And when we don't get that reciprocated, we often feel like we are unappreciated because we did something for you, you didn't do it for us, and we don't feel like you're thankful. And we get disappointed. Sometimes we treat people in a, in a nice way, but they don't, they're not nice, nice to us, right? We're helpful. You know, we stop and we help someone change their tire, but then we're stuck on the road and we see like 80 cars go by and no one stopped. You're like, hey, I stopped and helped someone. Why isn't someone stopping and helping me change this? We often have this expectation that if we go out and do good things, that somehow it'll come back to us in return. And sometimes when that doesn't happen, we end up getting disappointed, right? So oftentimes there's this unrealistic expectation because we think if we are good, that other people will be good to us. That if we do good, people will do good to us. And that's not necessarily true. In fact, Jesus talked about this a little bit. Here's some of the things that Jesus did not say, right? To set this context. Whoever does the will of my father will always get the best parking spots. (laughs) Right? Never said that. (laughs) If you lose your life for my sake, you look fabulous in your swimsuit. Things Jesus never said, right? But seek the kingdom of God, and you will get the flashiest car. Things Jesus never said, right? Jesus never promised us that we'll be good looking, that we'll be wealthy, that we'll be fit and trim, that we won't lose our hair, get turned down on a date, get pimples when we least expect it before your wedding day, Or not give your spouse a headache. All of these things 
are things that Jesus never promised us, but sometimes we have an expectation that would happen in our life, right? And so John, who was a disciple of Jesus, documents some of the adventures uh, and the ways of Jesus. And this is what he tells us in John chapter 16 as the last words of Jesus, as Jesus prepares these disciples for their global mission. And Jesus is about to leave. He's about to go to the cross and then he's about to ascend. And so these are some of the very last words that Jesus actually shares with his disciples. And so he says this in verse 20. He says, Verily, truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Now, that is kind of grounding, isn't it? He's not saying you're going to have an awesome time. He's in fact saying you will mourn, you will meet, you will weep while the world, that's what? Rejoices. They're having a great time, but you're not. You're not going to have a great time. They're going to have a spectacular celebration while you'll be mourning. That doesn't sound like a great recruitment video, does it? It's like, hey, come join us. You're going to have a bad time. You're going to be weeping. You're going to be mourning while everyone else is having a great time. Who wants to sign up for that job? No hands up, I see. But that's what Jesus said. And in the next few verses in, in his diatribe, in his words, in his prayer, in his upcoming prayer, in the next few verses of this chapter, Jesus says 19 times he used the word world. Right? He says, peace I give you, but not as the world gives you peace. Right? He's giving you a peace, but it's not the same as what you get from the world. Then he continues and says, I came from the Father to the world. I am leaving the world to go back to the Father. So he's talking about his temporariness and his transition, which sets a platform for our perspective in life. Then he says, if the world hates you, guess what? It hated me first. If you belong to the world then you don't love God in the same sense. You are chosen and to be brought out of the world. You're not part of the world. Why does the world hate you? And then he says, he prays this prayer. He says, God, I'm praying that you protect these people. Don't take them out of the world, but bless them in the world. So there's this constant reiteration of the word world that he touches over and over again. See, because the reality is this, Jesus' promise is not for this world, it's out of this world. Right? Jesus' promise is not for this world, it's out of this world. It's an amazing promise. But then, John gives us a bit more information. He continues on in verse 20. He says, Verily, verily, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. If you're waiting for the punchline, here it comes. He says, yes, you might start off in this place where it doesn't look so great. You might start off in this place where you are mourning and you're weeping, but that's going to change. That's going to transform into joy. And then he gives us this picture, which most of us can identify with, at least 50% of us can identify with. The women can identify with really well. And a, a man, if you're a man, you probably identify as your hand gets crushed 
but this is what he says. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come to give birth. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into this world. Now, mothers, you've given birth, right? So I can't commiserate with you because I've never been able to give birth and neither the men in this world will be able to give birth. But as parents, you know what it is to have a child. But as mothers, you have a totally different understanding because the husband is not the one going through the birthing pain. They might be standing there with you. They might be going through like, okay, honey, it's going to be okay. But they don't feel the pain you feel. That's a tremendous amount of pain. And you are like, get this thing out of me. <laughs> but after the child is born, you forget about the pain you've just went through because of the joy of the, of the child. You don't think back, you might, oh my gosh, this child. I don't even look at this child because of the pain. No, you forget about the pain because you enjoy the birth of the child. This is the analogy, this is the picture that Jesus presents. He says, there will be pain. But when you get your reward, there'll be so much joy, you're going to forget about what you went through because of the great joy that's going to be before you. There's an amazing thing that you're going to have. And he says, so it is with you in verse 22. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away that joy from you. Now, in the context of what Jesus is saying, he's speaking directly to his disciples. He's speaking to them about what's just going to happen. He's going to go to the cross. They're going to moan. They're going to weep. But we can extend that into our life because we all have an idea that sometimes we go through pain. We go through suffering. We go through tremendous amount of anguish before we actually get to the place that God designed us. We can identify with this because we've all felt pain. We've all felt the sting of pain. And this is what Jesus says. He says, and it continues on in verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world. What he wants us and what he wants his disciples to understand is that true peace is only found in him. It's not found out in the world. It's not found out in things. It's not found out in anything that surrounds us. True peace, the peace that God offers us, can only be found in Christ. It is there that we as Christ followers find the abundance of peace. True peace, not as the world gives it to us, but as Christ gives it to us. See, Jesus didn't say, you will never have problems. You'll go through this world and not suffer the pain and anguish of anything. He didn't say that. He didn't say you'll get everything you always wanted in your life. He didn't say that every step you take is always going to be amazing and you won't have any issues in life. It's just going to be one magic ride, like a magic carpet ride. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, when you drive up to this massive parking lot and you want the parking spot right by the door, you're always going to get it. Just because you follow me. Sometimes we pray, God, give me that parking spot. It's like, oh, God, open up that door. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. He didn't say, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're, not going to have, you're always going to have service. He didn't say, your girlfriend will never break up with you. Your boyfriend will never betray you. He didn't say that. 
He's never said that you'll never lose a job. But we've all gone through this situation. We've all been through this situation before. Right? We've gone through the trouble in life. And in fact, that's what John says in his documentation, verse 33. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. So make no mistake, following Christ doesn't alleviate any of your problems. But following Christ gives you a peace that can't come from anywhere else. And we have this misconception that if we follow Jesus, all our problems are magically going to be wiped away. In fact, I don't think God does that because he wants you to understand that you will have problems, but the only place you can find peace is in him. If he eliminates your problems, you'll never know how to experience true peace in him. And so sometimes... Things happen in our world because God wants us to understand that pain is sometimes going to be present. That struggle is certain in this world. Suffering in this world is inevitable because we live in a state where not everyone sees the way we do. People are going to do things that are not in line with, with your ideology and your views and your take on life. How do you adapt? How do you deal? How do you surround yourself or move forward in this world if they don't always agree with the way you think? The reality is that some of us are in the middle of that right now in a difficult season in life. We're, we're fed up of our situation. We're fed up with our job. We might be even fed up with our spouse. But that doesn't mean that you can just check out. Some of us feel overlooked. Maybe you've been struggling with your job and you're working hard and you're trying to impress your boss, but they don't even notice you. Maybe you're doing it at school and the teacher has someone else that they favor and you've been pushing yourself and, and struggling and trying to move forward and they don't even notice you. Some of you might be rejected. You've gone out of your way to show appreciation and to love and to care, but you're not feeling the same way. You might feel rejected. Some of you might feel alone because you're going through seasons in your life where it feels like everything's been stripped away from you and you're just in this place of isolation and it seems like no one cares and no one loves and no one's even there for you. Some of you have lost confidence in yourself because you feel you've, you've strived and you've put forward and you've put effort and you don't see any fruit of that. Some of you are battling depression. I think a lot of us have gone through that in this past two years because of what we had to deal with and bear up. Some of us are just anxious, you know, and I've been through the series of anxiousness. It, it just seems unsettling because you're trying to get things organized and you just feel anxious and you don't even know where it's coming from. You're just anxious all the time. You can't sleep, you can't sit quietly, your mind's always racing, your heart seems like it's always beating a thousand miles an hour. Sometimes we get bad news, the news is filled with it. Sometimes we go through financial struggles. There's health challenges around all of us sometimes. And sometimes our relationships are, are left in shambles. And it feels like pressure. And it feels like it's unbearable. And it feels like we're doing everything we can humanly possibly do. And it just doesn't feel like we're breaking through. We're struggling. We're afraid. We're hurting. We're feeling overwhelmed. And no one seems to understand. And then the big question that some of us have, the massive question that's over us is, where is God? Right? Where is God in my anxiousness? 
Where's God when I'm going through my financial troubles? Where's God when I'm, I'm suffering these health concerns? Where is God when I'm alone? Where's God when I'm going through depression? Where is He? We're human beings. We have real questions. And it's easy to say, well, just smile and make it through. Fake it till you make it. But those of us that have real questions, that have real feelings, that have real questions about anxiousness and pain, we wonder where is God? Sometimes we hear about God moving in someone else's life and we say, well, what about me? What about my life? What about my anxious thoughts? What about my struggle? What about my pain? Where are you? That's a question we all have. The reality, I believe, is sometimes our view and God's view are two different things. And it's natural to focus on ourselves when we feel pain. It's natural to focus on ourselves when we feel we're on depression. Because it's our view. It's what I feel. It's, I'm in it right now. But the way God sees us and the way God sees the situation is not so minute and so focused in on one perspective. He sees your life as a whole. He sees that yes, there's going to be times where as David said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But here comes the comfort. But I know my God is with me. How do you know God is with you? Oftentimes, we dwell in the shallowest place of humanity, which is our feelings. We want to feel so we know. But God says, I want you to know so you can understand. See, knowing is greater than feeling because feelings go up and down. But when you know something, it doesn't matter how you feel, you know it for a fact. For example, let me give you an example. 2 plus 2 is, on your happiest days, is 2 plus 2, 4? Yes. On your worst day when you're in depression, is 2 plus 2, 4? Does it change based on how you feel? You sure? It never changes because it's a fact. You know 2 plus 2 is 4. It doesn't matter if you're great. It doesn't matter if you're down in the dumps. 2 plus 2 is 4. So when God says, I want you to know I'm with you, He's not talking about whether you feel that you're with me. I want you to know because I told you I'm with you. So it doesn't matter if you're in the valley or on the mountaintop. Know that I'm with you. Know that you can find peace wherever you are, whatever the state you are in me. So no matter what's surrounding you, no matter what you're going through, in me you will have peace. Sometimes we don't look for him, we look for stuff to make us feel better. See, sometimes trouble, trials, and hardships prove your faith. Right? We don't like to see that perspective, but the reality is that trouble, trial, and hardships prove our faith. Peter who went through his own sort of arc with Christ because, hey, he was this, this apostle. He was this great rock. Jesus called him the rock, right? And he says, I will follow you, Jesus, no matter where you go. No matter what happens, I'm going to be by your side. You said, well, don't be so quick to say these things. And the reality is that 
Was Peter with him? No, Peter let him down. Peter betrayed him. We want to just put Judas's name in neon signs, but Peter just did the same thing. In fact, he's worse than Judas because Judas never said, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. I'll never leave you. Peter did. But we have this redemption of Peter, right? Even though he fell away, he came back, he got redeemed. And so Peter writes from this perspective of going through this roller coaster ride of emotions, of being with Christ and knowing with Christ, but yet he goes down deep into the dumps, but then he comes back up. And so he writes to the church in his letter in 1 Peter. He's writing to a church that's under extreme persecution because what was happening at that time was that Emperor Nero had been persecuting Christ followers. He was doing horrible things to them that was more than you could possibly imagine. What he would do is that he'd have wild animals and after he slaughtered them for his feast, he would take their skins, he would pour the blood on Christians, he would tie them up with the animal skins and he'd release these rabid dogs that were hungry, not fed for weeks. And these dogs would tear apart these Christ followers alive and eat them alive. Then he would take other Christ followers, he'd pour hot wax on them, he'd tie them to trees and while he'd have a dinner party he'd light them on fire and they would be their living candles while he would enjoy a feast with his friends this is who peter is writing to people who are going through extreme trials and persecution you and i have never experienced this level of persecution but this is what he writes to this is what he tells them he says so be truly glad and you're like come on peter just relax with it words right now because that does not seem appropriate for what we are going through but this is what he writes so be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while these trials will show that your faith is genuine trials prove the genuineness of our faith then, which leads us to a further question, if there is a genuine faith, then there must be a counterfeit faith. Right? Because he's saying, this is going to prove that you have genuine faith. Well, if there's genuine, there has to be a counterfeit. So what, what is counterfeit faith? What do you think is counterfeit faith? What is a counterfeit faith? Well, I believe it's a shallow faith. A faith that cannot withstand scrutiny, a faith that cannot go through trials, a faith that cannot overcome obstacles, a faith that gives up when the slightest obstacle comes in its way. It's not grounded, it's not rooted, there's no depth there, it's just shallow. But Jesus tried to illustrate this by giving us a parable. And the parable he used was the parable of the sower. Do you remember this parable? It says, a man went out to sow. He sowed seeds on different kinds of soil. And if you read later into his illustration of the parable, you find out that the ground is actually the hearts of people. The seed is actually God's promise. But where it lands is important because the sower sows it to everyone equally. The seed is just as potent, and the only difference is the heart of people. And it says, he says that sometimes it'll land on thorny ground, 
What happens is that it gets choked. The thorns grow up. It's choked. And he says, these are the cares of life. You come to know God, but then the cares of life come in and they choke out your love and, and your devotion to God and you slip away. Then he says, some fall on shallow ground and they don't have deep roots. So therefore, it can't produce, it can't glow, grow, it can't flourish. And it quickly dies when the sun comes because there's no depth to it. They quickly fell away. How do we contextualize this in our modern world? It's, this, it's easy this way. Oh, I have a migraine. Why didn't God take away my migraine? I, I don't know if he's real. Oh, I'm rejected by school. You know, I applied for these universities and, and no one accepted me. I guess God didn't care about me. My loved one dies of a sickness, of cancer. I don't know if I can trust God now. See, we base our commitment, our love, our understanding of God on our situations. Not on who he is, but on how we feel and what we perceive. A faith that has never been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. A faith that has never been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. How do you know you have faith? Because you say so? How do you know you have depth of faith? How do you know you have a great faith? The only way for you to know is when you face a trial. And in spite of what you see, in spite of what you hear, in spite of what you go through, your faith is grounded in God. He says, I'm immovable. The storms of life may come. I may be swayed to and fro. The tree may bow, but it will never break because it has strong roots. And so, yes, I might go through a hurricane now and then. Yes, I might face a massive storm, but my roots are deep in God. And I'll never break because I have roots. See, the hardest things that I've been through in my life, and hopefully you can understand this as well. The worst things that I've been through, the trials that I've been through, the pain that I've been through, has always made me closer to God. It's when I go through pain that I need him more. It's when I go through anguish that I need him more. When I'm rejected, I know I can go to him. When I'm despised, I know I'm still loved. That's when I get closer. Because when the world rejects me, God embraces me. When the world pushes me away, God draws me closer. Trials come. Because trials prepare you for your purpose. Trials prepare you for your purpose. Because when you go through trials, that's when you grow. When you go through trials, that's when you get stronger. When you go through rejection, that's when you are prepared to lean into God more than before. Because if you have love from people, you'll never have want love from God. And as hard as that sounds, I'm not saying go out there and be pessimistic. I'm not saying going out there and look at the world in a very negative way. But I'm saying understand that the world is going to sometimes put things on you that you don't want, need, or require. But God will always be there to support you and strengthen you. See, it's the same thing. We understand this principle. If you want to get physically fit, you need a bit of resistance. If you want to get your muscle built, 
You can't just build your muscle because you eat good stuff. You can eat as healthy as you want, but if you don't have some resistance, your muscle isn't going to grow. Your faith isn't going to grow if there's no resistance. You want some strong faith, you need some strong resistance. But we look at that as a negative thing. But God says, you've prayed and said, God, increase my faith. You've prayed to get closer. I'm helping you get closer. And we're like, no, I don't want that now. Because we don't understand how God moves. If you want to have and grow in faith, you need to have trials. If you want to grow deep in God, you're going to have to be facing tribulations. That's how it works. You want to be shallow? Don't have any tests. You want to have a shallow faith? Well, you'll never have any problems in life. It'll all be good. You'll rejoice with everyone else. James was always amazing because, you know, he was a brother of, of Jesus. It's amazing to think that James had an old brother named Jesus. But he writes this. This is what he says according to the same thing we're talking about. He says this in James chapter 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not just little, but what? Many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It's like an olive that's being crushed to produce olive oil. When you crush it, it produces something good. When you crush an orange, you get orange juice. You'll never get orange juice as long as you have a good-looking orange. This orange has to be crushed and mutilated in order for you to have some great orange juice. Sometimes trials crush us to produce great faith. The world crushes us so we can produce godly character. It says, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete and not lacking anything. Now, I want you to pause for a second and I'm going to reverse that and ask you to Look at it this way, that you will be shallow and incomplete and lacking everything if you don't have trials. You will be shallow. You won't be mature. You will be incomplete. You will be constantly looking for everything that you want to satisfy your needs because you think you're going to get satisfaction in this thing, in that thing, in relationships, in supplies, in things in your house, all of the stuff. You're always running towards stuff because you'll never be satisfied. But James says, when you get trials, you will become mature. You will be complete and you won't lack anything, meaning you won't need to rely on anything but him. If things come into your life, you're grateful and thankful. But when they leave, you're not going to break down into a depression. They're temporary. God is the only thing that's eternal. So, you might not see the point when you're discouraged. You might not see the point when you're overwhelmed. You might not see the point when you're afraid. But could it be that God's preparation comes packaged as pain? Have you asked that question? Could it be... God's preparation for you comes packaged in pain. You reject the package because you look at it and it says pain, a nice little package. You're like, I don't want that. Move it on down. But if you open it up, 
That's when you get maturity. That's when you get completion. That's when you don't have a reliance on anything. See, how did God prepare Joseph to lead a nation? He went through rejection. He went through slavery. And he was falsely accused. How did God prepare David to defeat Goliath? He had to fight a lion and he had to fight a bear. How did God prepare Peter to stand up as we talked about in boldness on the day of Pentecost? He failed Jesus. He betrayed Christ. He went through pain and rejection himself before he came back. How, the question then for us is how do we deal with criticism in our world? How do we deal with pain? Do we have the right perspective when things come into our life? Or are we at the place where it's all about our feelings and we feel this way and this, we feel this way and so we can't understand what God is doing in our life? Trials won't weaken your faith. They actually make it stronger. Tell yourself, as Jesus said, it's like birthing pains. It comes through some pain, but you have the joy of a child after. You forget about the trial after you get the amazing reward. That's how it is. See, you might have been weak before, but the trial strengthened you up. See, the offense comes and it purifies your heart. The loneliness comes and it's teaching you to trust in God like never before. The betrayal comes and it's expanding your capacity to love and forgive. The setback comes, but your setback is just there for your set up for your future. You're wrecked with pain. The promise is there because God is creating purpose in you. He's creating something amazing in you. And some of us, we say, well, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand how I feel. And that's why Jesus contrasts the world and him. He says, if you're in the world, you can't understand who he is. If you're in the world, you love the things of the world and you'll hate God. Because you can't serve two masters. You can love one and hate the other. You can cling to one and despise the other. But you can't serve both. And so all of us, every single one of us, no matter how young, no matter how old we are, we need to come to a realization. We need to come to a conclusion. We need to make a decision in our life. Do you genuinely want to follow Christ? Or is this just a game? Because it would be worthless for you, wouldn't it, to spend month after month giving up your Sundays just because it's a game. There's no benefit for you. There's no point in showing up. There's no point in devoting yourself to Christ if you're not genuine. Because why would you pay the price and not get any reward? But if you're genuine, if you genuinely want to follow Christ, if you genuinely want to commit to Him, you're going to face this. And sometimes people want to sugarcoat it and just surround us like, you follow God, everything's going to be great. And then when they end up in a trial, they're questioning God. It's every single one of our responsibilities as Christ followers to help others along the path of Christ. To show them that yes, there will be pain, but God is with you. Yes, there'll be suffering, but in that God comforts you. Yes, there'll be rejection, but he still loves you. Yes, you'll be despised, but his love never ends because he loves you with everlasting love. It doesn't excuse what happens in the world, but it shows that the true presence of peace is only in him. And that's what he says. See, 
we go through relationship crisis, we go through health crises, we go through things, and sometimes people end up in difficult places, in addictions and drugs and facing bankruptcy and financial problems because they try to fill their life with things that they feel will satisfy them, and there's no true satisfaction apart from Christ. And that's why he says, in Christ alone, you will have peace. Nowhere else, in Christ alone, in Christ, in me, Christ says, you will find peace. That's it. John again writes this in his letter. He says this. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Here's your victory cry. Here is your true reward. Because if you are in Christ, everyone born of God, if you're in Jesus, that's when you get victory over the world. Not through your own human invention. Not through your human intervention or ways. But through Christ. When you're in God, when you're born, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There is no other way, but it's through Him. Again, John says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. See, you don't have to fight your battle when you're in Christ because he fights it for you. See, if you're out there by yourself, you need to deal with this. But when you're in Christ, when you're in him, it's him that deals with it. And he's already overcome the world. So if you're in him, the battle's already won because he's already beaten. In him, you have peace. In him, you have joy. In him, you have victory. In him, you have all that you possibly need and you have no lack of anything. Because he provides you with everything. He is our victory. So, those of you who might not know Christ, the good news is this. That Jesus does not necessarily save us from our pain. Jesus saves us from our sin. Because if we have him, he has overcome the world. And yes, you will go through some pain. And yes, you'll go through all this stuff. But in Him, you have true peace. Because He's already assured us of victory. So, as always, I conclude with two questions. Question one. Think about when you have questioned God's presence. And the reality is that all of us have at some point or the other. Myself included. Why did we question God? Because we didn't see it in the way that he was working in our life. You know, we sang the song, even when I don't feel it, he's working. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Right? He is the way maker. He makes a way. And just because I don't see it doesn't mean that God is not working. Just because I don't feel it doesn't mean that God is not working. He's working in our life. But sometimes we look at it through our diluted feelings our circumstances and we begin to question we think well where's god well here's where god is he's already working out it in our life he's already working to give us a victory all we need to do is just dive into the swimming pool you know sometimes the pool is there and you're sitting by the pool you're like it's so hot it's so sweaty i'm sweating but hey there's a nice refreshing pool right there dive right in dive right in christ he's right there 
and you will be refreshed. And so, think about this time that you've questioned God's presence. Is it because of the trial? Was it because you expected God to do something and show up and do it the way you wanted Him to do it and it didn't happen that way? So you begin to question, well, where is God? Is He real? Is He present? Does He care? You thought that He was absent, but He's always been present. Maybe we didn't recognize the package because we didn't want to see it the way it was, but He's already working bringing out your purpose, making you stronger, making you deeper. Question two. What can you do this week to build your faith through your trials? The reality is that all of us are facing this. We might not be facing the same exact things, but we're all facing some sort of trial. Maybe it's an emotional trial. Maybe it's a health challenge. Maybe it's a financial trouble. Maybe it's relationship problems. Maybe it's circumstantial problems. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's wherever it may be. But how can we, this week, continue to lean in with what we've talked about today and build our faith rather than let it become shallow? Understand what God says. Read, refresh your Thoughts and what John talks about when he says when we go through trials. Read it and help you get you a new perspective. So things Jesus never said, you won't have bad days. Bad days will come, good days will come, but what's always true is that God is always present. Let's stand. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.